Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. And, uh, you know, usually I talk to Ace Collins in December. I'm so used to doing that, but I would talk to him any month of the year. And today I'm getting a chance to do that. He's written a new book called Geared Up Faith for Classic Car Buffs. And it's a uh, fascinating uh, look into the automotive uh, industry and all of the famous cars. And he got this love of cars from his, his grandfather, and legendary cars inspire lots of stories, and a lot of uh, people love to talk about their classic cars. He's been a, a, a guy who's worked on cars, classic cars, most of his uh, adult life, and he uh, is here to talk to us about his new book. And each of these uh, great chapters has a um, kind of a, a spiritual tune-up at the end of each chapter. So if you have someone in mind that likes classic cars or you think they would love a read on classic cars and the history of it, this is one of those books you're going to want to think about getting for Father's Day coming up, or maybe there's uh, someone in your life that you're trying to reach for Christ that, um, you know, likes cars. And that would be a great way to uh, start that conversation. Uh, Ace has written over 100 books, and as you uh, probably know, he is a regular guest, uh, especially around Christmas time, because of his Christmas books are legendary. We're always glad to have him on. Ace, welcome. It is a joy to be with you. And you, you did say something there in the introduction that was so appropriate. The reason we wrote this book is because car shows gather a lot of different people, and there are a lot of churches even now that host car shows, and yet there hasn't been a way to kind of bridge that gap between people who love cars and people who love Christ. And so uh, I came up with the concept three or four years ago of just writing devotionals that I shared with a few people online about car stories and how that tied into how we could live out our faith. And uh Tyndall Publishing got wind of a couple of those, read them online, and that the things I'd just been doing for fun and came back to me and asked me if I could put together a book like this. It has been a joy to actually look at 31 different classic cars, some very, very well-known, like Duesenbergs and Packards and Auburns, and then also some that aren't so well-known, you know, like the Minneapolis Moline <laughs> UDLX, mm-hmm. and and... and but to take these, find interesting facts about them, find the history behind them uh, was absolutely fascinating. I say we have 31 cars in here. That's not entirely true because the first chapter is actually on the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company because without a man named Goodyear inventing pneumatic tires, we would have never gotten on the road very quickly anyway because you couldn't have driven on hard rubber or wood very far, very far even in a motorized vehicle. And so he is coming up with that. And it's really interesting because that particular man made nothing off off his invention. It was totally and completely lost. Wow. Uh, the money was on him. And yet there's a quote that he had that I, I was, you know, we can start today's with today with because I think it's so appropriate to listen to his concept, to, you know, Goodyear's concept, Charles Goodyear, who failed many, many, many times. And when you know, when his when his 
device was used successfully by so many people. You know, he he basically said it was okay, even though he went bankrupt. He said it was okay because he he wanted people to use it. And, and you know, the spiritual tune-up part of this chapter goes not long before his death, so steeped in death debt he could barely feed his family, Charles Goodyear observed others making millions off his process of vulcanization. It would have been natural for him to be bitter, but instead he wrote, I am not disposed to repine. I say that I have planted and others have gathered the fruits. Man has just caught, has just cause for regret when he sows and no one reaps. And, you know, I, I went on to say in this particular chapter, talking about Goodyear the man, by the way, the company was named after him. It wasn't his company. It was a tribute to his inventions is why hmm. the Goodyear company got its name. But I went on to say, it has been said that some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. They know God, they read the Bible, and they pray. But rather than doing the Lord's work on earth, their focus is on heavenly rewards. Thus, they never see the need to address the pain and suffering others see others see around them. And they're experiencing these people both nearby and in the world. One of the chief companies that competed with Goodyear was Firestone. The company made famous the advertising, uh, advertisement suggesting their tire's quality was proven when the rubber meets the road. The quality of a Christian faith can be measured in much the same way by taking to heart the message found in Matthew 25, 35 through 40, we will become more like Christ. And so that's really kind of the nature of the book. We talk about these various uh, automobiles and, and, and things connected to the auto industry. We give you the history of how they happen, such as the Model T, Ford, and, and the Thomas Flyer in 1907, clear up to the 1965 Mustang. And the publisher has gathered some incredible photographs of these vehicles that are sprinkled throughout the chapters and throughout the books. We've given you some trivia in a section called Shifting Gears. Uh, and so it's really kind of a unique book. I, each chapter starts with a Bible verse. Then it goes into a section where we tell the story behind whatever we're talking about. Driving the sto story is what that's called. Then we go to Shifting Gears, which gives you kind of little facts and tidbits about each, each uh, spotlighted uh, subject in the chapters. And then we end with that spiritual tune-up. So I think it's kind of unique, it's kind of fun, and it is probably the perfect Father's Day gift or birthday gift for someone who who just loves cars. And by the way, there are a lot of moms at car shows now too, so it might be the perfect Mother's Day gift too, I don't know. But yeah. it's, uh, it's coming out in June for Father's Day, and I'm kind of excited about seeing it. Uh, I am too. In, in Minnesota, Ace, there's not uh, a lot of opportunities for classic car gatherings, but I did see my first one, I think, last week because the um, the weather had broken and it was nice, and there was probably 25 or 30 cars in this parking lot, and they're all sitting in, in, uh, in their, their chairs talking to each other, fellowshipping with one another, admiring each other's cars. And I think to myself, this is so ripe for uh, a place of gospel presentation amidst a community that has such passion and such great love for their cars. Yes, and I, I tell you what, when you go back and you look at the Packard Corporation, you brought up something that's very interesting. The Packard luxury car was one of the best cars built in America. It, it actually, the last one rolled off the line. It could be argued in 1956 because the 57 and 57 and 58 Packards were actually, they had merged with Studebakers and 
and were really dressed up Studebakers more than they were Packards. But there was a slogan that Packard used for decades that said, ask the man who owns one. Because Packard owners were just couldn't wait to talk about their cars, wow. Wow. and when we talk when we talk about it, talk about that slogan in the chapters, that's the kind of enthusiasm that we need to have as Christians. It just live the life, and then when somebody asks how, you know, you know, tell me about what makes you so happy, then we have the opportunity to talk about faith in a very unique way. So car shows, because of the very nature of what they are, because these are people who who live out the Good Samaritan. When somebody breaks down in a rally or something, you see all these people gathered around trying to help them. So, I mean, you know, it is that kind of thing that happens all the time at car shows. And so car shows give us an opportunity, therefore, to share the gospel like like probably nothing else we can do. When we're talking about the spiritual tune-up of Ask the Man Who Owns One, the slogan that drove Packard sales, Ask the Man Who Owns One, is the foundation of the Christian faith. It is through the words of those who had known Jesus, who had heard his voice, absorbed his parables, and witnessed his miracles, that a movement was initiated. During Jesus's ministry, people who talked about their experiences with the teacher motivated others to seek out Christ for themselves. When he rose from the grave, the firsthand statements of his followers formed the foundation of a new community of believers. Before he ascended into heaven, Christ instructed his disciples to take what they had seen and experienced with him to the far corners of the globe. The disciples grasped, the, grasped that vision and became the very first missionaries and carried the message of Jesus in all directions. Even when their faith was challenged, they kept talking. And as the great story moved from the Middle East into Asia and Europe, more and more people asked, who is this Jesus? Jesus. No doubt those who heard the question pointed to one of Christ's followers and said, ask the man who knew him. And old Ham declares, I love to tell the story. It's only a believe. It's often a believer's personal testimony that compels someone to examine their, the claims of Christ. Today's the perfect time to tell others why you decided to follow Jesus. So that's kind of the summation of each chapter. We, we talk about the uniqueness of a car, but we go to, we give you trivia. We give you beautiful pictures, but at the end, we give you a way to put in motion uh, what we've just talked about, what we what you've just read about. By the way, the shifting gears thing is kind of funny too, because I'm looking at that this page right now and thinking about the Packard. And, and our first of our trivia things on the Packard was the Packard assembly plant was finished in 1911 and would eventually encompass four million square feet. <laughs> I mean, think about how big that building is. Oh, I mean, my. four million square feet. You get an idea of why people still talk about, in the auto world, still talk about the pack, Packard with such a reverence, and why that Ask the Man Who Owns One slogan is still so prominent, such a prominent part of American advertising. Mm -hmm. Ace, I'm so curious about people listening, uh, if you can text into me the car that you, the oldest car you drove, or maybe there's people that say, my parents' car was, and I'm very curious to hear how old of a car do you remember being uh, having a part of your family? I'd be real curious to know what that is. I'm talking to Ace Collins, and the book is Geared Up Faith for Classic Car Buffs. But if you'd be so nice enough to send over that that uh, name of that car and what year it was, I would I would love to bring this up to Ace, and we can chat about where there's a number of classic cars we're going to talk about. And also, uh, this story that he shared about the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company, in my opinion, already worth the price of the book, 
But text that car name over, maybe the year, to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. And we'll be right back with Ace Collins in just a minute. the show. So glad to have Ace Collins with me. Ace Collins is an author of over 100 books. The book we're talking about today comes out next month called Geared Up Faith for Classic Car Buffs. And this is a fascinating ride. Great story. Ace, you're starting off with really getting my attention. The Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company story already. Fantastic. Maybe you talk about the Ford Model T. The Ford Model T, of course, is the, the vehicle that put America on the road. It Actually, it put the world on the road. Uh, there was a point in time when 75% of the vehicles in the world were Ford Model Ts. And in that respect, it was fascinating. Um, uh, when he was little, Henry Ford went to a walk to a country church and, and listened to sermons. And he no, no doubt heard about the widow's might, about how you give a little and, 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 and that is magnified time and time again. And I, I think when you look at this man who had deep flaws, by the way, the people in this book are, are not saints, they're not perfect, some were not even Christians, but they created something that that was that revolutionized the world, if you will, which was the automotive automotive uh, trade and the vehicles that went with it. And the Tin Lizzie, the Model T, you know, opened up in 1908. It was a very simple car. By the time uh, the last Model T rolled off the line and in 1927, you could purchase one for $300. And Ford's concept was that he had to create a car that everyone could own. Because at the time, only rich people owned cars. You know, poor people couldn't. Middle class people couldn't. He was determined to create a car that could take a farmer from his farm to town, hauling some stuff he needed to haul a town, pick something up and go home. But what he did was actually put all of America on the road and opened up Americans to seeing the United States. And and over the almost 20 years production of that car, over the oh, more than 15 million Model Ts that were sold, there was a sense that this is what gave people a real sense of freedom to go visit neighbors, to drive to church, to to go to other places. You know, before one of the things that people don't realize is before there were cars, church attendance was not very large. Uh, people, it took a long time for a rural person to get to church. A lot of people simply didn't do it. But once you got, in, got into the auto age, you could actually drive five, 10 miles to go to church. And it changed the way churches functioned as well as the way the world functions. Uh, but no one had their lives changed more than farmers and than with the Model T. By the way, it was also very easy to fix. If you had a uh, a spark plug wire you lost, you simply cut a piece of bailing wire up and put it in there and it would work just as fine. A Model T could actually run off gasoline, kerosene, and a bunch of other stuff, alcohol. So 
this was the <laughs> this was a car that literally was the universal car and 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 put America on the road. I, I honestly think that um, it, it's a car that represents to a large degree the people that Jesus came for because he was a king, but he, he came for the poor people. He put them first. And I think Henry Ford, therefore, exemplifies a little bit of that spirit when he, rather than trying to make a lot of money off very, very wealthy people by selling very expensive cars, created a car for the very, for the very, well, for the least of these, if you will, across the United States. Ace, it seems like at one point poor people had horses and rich people had cars, and today poor people have a car and rich people have horses. Yeah, I guess there is that. Uh, you know, we're probably going to hit a point in time where we can honestly say that until the price comes down, that rich people <laughs> have electric ca- electric cars and, and yeah. poor people have gasoline cars. You're probably right. Uh, but, um, yeah, and we're about to hit that next revolution in, in automo- automotive history. We're about to go from gasoline to electric. I didn't actually cover this in the book, but there was a debate for 10 years in the United States from 1895 to 1905, uh, which of the technology was going to win, gasoline or electric. And um, it was probably Henry Ford's Model T that, that answered that question, that at the time gasoline, a gasoline engine was cheaper uh, to operate and, uh, and more dependable in when you're driving out of a town. We had to cover large distances uh, in rural travel, so gas won then. It looks like uh, as we develop better and better batteries, that it will be electric vehicles that win now. You ask your, by the way, you ask your uh, listeners a question a while ago, what was the oldest car you ever rode in? I can tell you the oldest car I ever drove. Okay. I actually, for, for three years, about 15 years ago, I owned a 1917 Model T. Oh, wow. And so I actually, and they drive different than model cars. You drive everything, shift gears and stuff with, you have three pedals. You don't have a shifter. And so you're shifting with your feet all the time and have to hold your feet in a specific uh, a specific position. And then you accelerate with your hand. So the the, uh, the throttle is on the steering column. So you have two things on the steering column and you have three pedals. <laughs> and, you have to, and you have to figure out how to do all this at once. So one of the things I could never do while driving my Model T was actually answer a cell phone. Yeah, uh, there I was, was about to say. No, no way, but yeah. it was. Uh, I went to a church parking lot that was empty and learned how to drive my Model T when I got it. Now, <laughs> I'm kind of glad that I had that car to drive. I picked a college student up the other day, and she told me when I dropped her off, she was somebody who comes to our home group on Sunday night. Thank you for the ride. This is the oldest car I've ever ridden in, and it was a 1965 Mustang that I owned. And I was thinking, oh. This is the oldest car you've ever ridden in. I was like, I, I don't think of it. I, you know, I realize now when I got to thinking about it, my 1965 Mustang is, you know, is is old. I mean, it is you old. know, it, yeah. But I drive it every day, so I don't think of it as being an old car. But um, but it is old in the nature of of people who are in high school and college right now. <laughs> so. Ace, here are some uh, listeners' uh, contributions. Uh, Grandpa okay. was uh, Grandpa was a, a Packard man. He had a twenty-seven, mm-hmm. a thirty-seven, and a forty-nine. Uh, um, my dad inherited my grandfather's fifty-seven Chevy, uh, fifty-nine Chevrolet Bel Air. The oldest uh, car I can remember my dad having was a fifty-one Chevy Torpedo back. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, Studebaker. And then this one is interesting. My husband drove his dad's Singer Gazelles. You could start it with a key or crank started in the front. It had the sharpest turn radius of any car I've ever seen. 
Yeah. Same company made Singer sewing machines, by the way, made that car. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, you know, Kaiser, for instance, was a, you know, was was an aluminum place, place that made cars. You've got Crosley that made radios that made cars. So all kinds of people got into the business for a little while anyway, trying to make cars. Uh, there was also an Allstate car that was so, sold through the Sears catalog. <laughs> uh, in the early 1900s, clear up to about 1920, I think it was. So you had all these people getting in. Interesting thing about Studebaker, uh, people may not know this. Studebaker Company went out of business in the 60s. But if you fly over a certain section of Indiana and look down, there are, is a stand of pine trees that, that spell out Studebaker that you can see from the airplanes. Wow. They planted that, they planted that in the 1920s and as an advertising slogan. It still grows. It's still there. They're 250 feet tall now. So it's probably the oldest living advertisement uh, in the world. And it's at a place called Bendix Woods Country Park. Uh, from the ground, it just looks like tall pine trees. From the air, you can actually read the name Studebaker. Here's, this is the interesting thing about Studebaker. Studebakers, uh, they came to the United States from Europe. They were immigrants. They arrived in Philadelphia in 1736. By 1750, they were building Conestoga wagons, the brothers were. By, by the mid-1800s, five of the brothers, Henry, Clement, John, Peter, and Jacob, were making wagons together that were going on the Oregon Trail. They were the finest wagon makers in the world. As a matter of fact, it was a, a Studebaker wagon that took Lincoln to the Ford Theater and a Studebaker wagon hearse that took him to his last resting place. Most of Every, most of all the presidents used Studebaker horse-drawn wagons. They saw the end coming, and in 1944, they switched from horsepower to gasoline power and were legendary with their cars throughout the 20s, the 30s, and 40s, and really up until the 50s. Um, and so they were a very progressive car company, and they're the only car company that can cite this. And I think this is really interesting. They um, were a car company that had cars— in every war from the Revolutionary War through World War II. So they produced vehicles for every war from 1776 to 1945. Hmm. Wow. Unbelievable. You know, and I think that is, uh, you know, that's just absolutely fascinating if you think about it. And, and uh, you know, and I, I point out in the spiritual tune-up, unless we're facing death, most of us really think about our legacies Yet what, do you, what we do in the present has a direct effect on how people will view us down the road. In the 1800s, the Studebaker family pledged to give buyers even more than promised, and they delivered on that commitment by making quality vehicles. Wow. People who wanted to be the very best believe Studebaker's guaranteeing chose the wagons and carriages they made. Jesus, too, gave his best to his disciples, the sick, the forgotten, the abused, and the ones no one else would touch. He didn't just consider whether or not someone had earned his help. He just saw it as a need and filled it. Mm -hmm. He challenged us to do the same. All Christians right. must strive to deliver even more than promised. All we right. should seek out ways to go the extra We're mile. Up against a break here, Ace. We'll be right back with Ace Collins, his you book, bet. Geared Up Faith for Classic Car Buffs. Be right back.
doing radio with Ace Collins. He's written over 100 books. The one we're chatting about today is coming out uh, next month, just in time for Father's Day. And um, any mother or any woman that loves uh, the car shows, uh, this would be a great addition to their library. It's called Geared Up Faith for Classic Car Buffs. Ace, just curious, uh, where are you on the, um, where would a person need to be on the uh, the spirituality scale if they were to receive this book? Would they Would they be okay if they were just at ground zero? Uh, yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think people will find uh, people who are non-Christians will like this book a great deal because we, we're not hitting anybody over the head with it. We're uh, we're basically uh, giving a history of the cars, the books, and then subtly introducing faith at the end. I, I think it would be a tremendous book for somebody who knows very little about Christianity and very little about Jesus to open the door to possibly them exploring more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so. And, and it was written intentionally that way. I mean, you you want to, you, you don't want to preach to the choir all the time. I just don't want this book to go out to Christians. You know, the, the goal is to get this in the hands of car lovers who may find something new for a spiritual tune-up in their own life that would uh, that would put them, if you'll pardon the pun, on a different highway. Sure. Um, and I think that that's, you know, faith can be a driving force in life, but for that to happen— uh, you know, you have to get on board with Jesus. And I think this book has the potential to get some people on board. By the way, your, your, your callers a while ago, one of them mentioned uh, the 37 Packard. We have a we have two chapters on Packards, one about the man, the slogan itself and the company, and the other about Packard's great cars in the 1930s. And certainly that 37 Packard was not only uh, one of the best running cars during that period of time, also has a classic design um, that was a conservative design. It wasn't radical like the 36 Cord or the Auburn Boat Tail Speedsters or the, the Spirit of Motion Grams, which they now call the Shark Nose. But it was an absolutely uh, a timeless design that still looks good today. And they mentioned the 57 Chevrolet. I, I think 57 was probably the greatest year, post-year, war year for cars. And that 57 Chevrolet you know, that has been that has become an icon uh, to the auto industry. Uh, we talk about it a little bit in a chapter we did on, on the 53 Corvette and, and how the Corvette influenced uh, the sedans and other other cars that uh, Chevrolet came out with. An interesting fact is most people now look at the 57 Chevrolet because of the great overhead V8s it had besides besides the styling it had the 289 and the 327. But most of them were powered by a six cylinder the uh, 57 Chevrolets. The interesting thing about that six-cylinder, it was introduced in 1929. Chevrolet and General Motors continued to put it in cars and trucks with with minor updates through 1988 in the United States and 2002 in the world. So he had an engine that was developed in 27 and 28, released in 29, that has had that had an impact for 70 years on the automotive world. And there are hundreds of thousands of those engines still running this day, not just in the United States, but all around the globe. That That's dependability, yeah. and that's longevity. Mm-hmm. So I've got a piece of uh, good news for listeners. Ace has been nice enough to offer uh, three copies of his book available for us to give away. So if you want to get in on the drawing to win one of these uh, 
books. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Ace, talk about the 1913 Cadillac tow truck. That's an an interesting story, and I think one of the best devotionals in the book. Um, There was a school teacher, well, who was driving along a road in Tennessee and went down into a gully, I mean a deep gully, and everybody who looked at his Model T that was lying kind of on its side at the bottom of this gully said, there's no way you're going to get it up here, out of here, it's going to stay there forever. This was 1916, (laughs) Uh I mean, because tree horses couldn't have gotten down to it, it was too steep or anything else. And he called one of his students, former students, and the student uh, ran a company that fixed cars. You know, he was a mechanic. He came down and outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee, and looked at this thing, and he told him, the professor, there's probably no way we're going to get it up, but we're going to try. And even though he lost money trying, it took him eight hours and six friends, but using cars, horses, and mules— But they pulled that Model T up. He took it to his shop. He fixed it. The professor continued to drive that car. From there, birthed an idea. And the idea from Ernest Holmes, who had been the student who pulled the car out, was, you know, with the automotive trade going the way it is, there's going to be a lot of cars stuck in ditches. We need to create something that can get them out other than a team of horses. And he chopped up a Cadillac, 1913 Cadillac, created and patented and designed a hitch for the back of it that would be able to pull cars out of pretty much anywhere. And he put it in action. United States in World War II, World War I bought huge amounts of his trucks that had been converted that way. And by 1940, two-thirds of the wreckers in the U.S. were created right there in Chattanooga, Tennessee, by this man who went to help out a school teacher. Um, and I think that is, uh, you know, there's nothing that says Good Samaritan like that. Uh and it's interesting the role that tow trucks still have across the United States and helping those who get in a ditch get out of it. Um, and the Christian lesson, I think, in that chapter is one of the strongest Christian letter lessons you'll find in the entire book. That's fantastic. All right, let's. Um, I'm just looking at the list of all these cars, and, and I know there's such great stories. Should we? we oh, go ahead. Yeah, we. I'm glad that there that we've got the people who who are as fascinated by, by and have as good of memories of, as cars or memorable experiences as cars as they do because let's face it it's something that connects us all. It does. Yeah. Just got a note from a listener who said I've been attracted to the white 3000 truck since I was a little kid. I have a 1957 one of these in my driveway that needs complete restoration. I have the hope to do just what you're talking about. Go to shows and parades. Vintage truck collectors are many, but the younger generation is shying away from them. I tell you what, we we do not have the the truck he's talking about in the book. The white was an incredible truck, along with the Rio, uh, the Diamond Tees, and others. The, the truck that I put in here, uh, because this is mainly about cars, but I had to have a truck in here, and the truck that I I placed in this story was the Mack Bulldog. Oh. That came out in in nineteen in the nineteen seventeen or so, and the army used them everywhere. As a matter of fact, there were Brits who who made the comment that I, if you got a problem, bring in the bulldog back, <laughs> and that is how I got the name Bulldog. And that truck was continuing to be made clear through nineteen thirty nine. It was an amazing truck. It it really did change the trucking industry. And once again, these people before they made trucks. You know, they were making carriages and it just it was just 
a natural changeover. Uh, the Mac produced the first fire trucks. Um, you know, it, it, it's amazing when you look at what they did. Um, and, you know, there was a slogan they had that I think is interesting. Matt's, Macs claimed their trucks were built, not assembled. And I think it applies to Christians. We are built, not assembled. We're, so you're built one part at a time, one step at a time. And that Max claimed the, they had the best truck on the road because they were built, not assembled. Uh, like, and like I, I think that 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 is kind of a fine tuning thing that that we all are a part of. Hey, hey, by the way, while we're here, we're going to talk about a car nobody's going to talk about uh, because I got, because we're. This the Minneapolis Moline that I mentioned at the very beginning. The the UDLX is just one of the most interesting stories in the entire world. I mean, you have this company that ha, that has this thing, what they think is an incredible idea. They are going to build a tractor that has a cab. Now this is before tractors had cabs, and they are going to make it where it will also go down the road about fifty five miles an hour. <laughs> it's got mm -hmm. bumpers. It's got a radio. It's got lights, and it can, so it can plow in the daytime, and then the farmer can go by the house, pick up the wife, and go to the square dance at night. Uh, they thought it would be this massive hit. Uh, it wasn't. For starters, the wives didn't like sitting in the jump seat, and two, <laughs> and two, it rode like a tractor at 55 miles an hour, mm -hmm. and most tractors didn't go over 20 miles an hour at that time. But it is one of the most interesting-looking vehicles and one of the most interesting ideas I've I've ever seen, and it really does foresee the future when tractors had closed cabs and air conditioning and all the creature comforts that a farmer could have. But the the comfort a tractor uh, simply was one of the great failures of all time. As a matter of fact, it makes it makes the insult look like a success. But mm -hmm. the chapter on it, if you read it, is absolutely fascinating because uh, it it was a novel idea that just was about 45 years ahead of its time. So, uh, Ace, I'm guessing the spiritual application in that chapter is if you want a happy marriage, don't have a tractor that goes 55? Well, I could have done it that way, I guess. You know, <laughs> uh, what I actually did there was when when they introduced the tractor, the company believed they had fulfilled the farmer's greatest wishes, but they had actually created something that couldn't effectively do either the, either job it had been designed to do. That kind of thinking is not rare. Rather than listening to God to discover his will for our lives, we often let our wishes take us to places we're not equipped to handle. When we push in directions that are ill-suited to the talents God gave us, we are almost always mess up. God has made each of us unique, like no other person in the world, and he did that for a reason. We should long... We shouldn't long for the talents we don't have, but to discover the talents we do possess, develop them and use them to impact the world. Mm. In other words, we need to be what we were meant to be. Yeah. Asa, listener just said the Minneapolis Moline is worth a lot of money when they are completely oh, restored. Yeah. They sell for 20000 plus today. Oh, no. No, the most recent one at an auction sold for over 100000 Oh, wow. $142,000, I think, is what it was yeah. at the last auction I saw. Yeah. yeah. So why is a Jeep called a Jeep? Uh, that's a good question. Okay. Uh, probably, <laughs> you know, uh, nobody really knows for sure. Uh, it was a general purpose vehicle, so it was a GPV, okay? Um, and, and so... Uh, Ford made most of them, even though it was Willie's design, and, and people probably started calling him, rather than calling him a GP, they probably just blended that into Jeep. Okay. That's that's what most people believe. Uh, rather than calling a general purpose vehicle, 
they just started calling it a jeep. Oh, I like that. Uh, and 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 most and if you think about it, that's military back in the forties, particularly during World War II, they they basically gave letters to everything. I mean, you know, they everything that was named was named with letters, and and so. I think that's probably why that happened. Uh, the Jeep was an amazing vehicle. I, uh, the best line in the stories, and we don't have time to get into all the stories, was about the the GI uh, who who made a comment about the Jeep, and and he he said, "When I die, bury me in a Jeep because it's never been in a hole it couldn't get out of." <laughs> oh, that's great. And I think, therefore, when you look at it, the story, you know, that we won't go into the the whole spiritual tune-up on that one, but you had three different companies that put that made Jeeps in World War II, and it was three different companies. It took three different companies with their ideas to create that uh, iconic vehicle, and those companies working together gave the vehicle its unique look and toughness to help win a war. I think it it basically shows us the importance of teamwork in our in in our Christian faith as well. Mm-hmm. Ace Collins is my guest, and his new book coming out in June is uh, Geared Up Faith for Classic Car Buffs. It's got a wonderful spiritual application at the end of every chapter. So if you have a car uh, buff person in your life, this would be a great, uh, great gift. And even the kind of Ace's books are the kind of books you just want on coffee tables in your house because they're so interesting and people can pick it up and look at it, and you have an instant connection for conversation. So consider that as well. He's got three copies of this book available to give out uh, to you lucky listeners. So if you want to get in on this drawing, text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. Again, I'll say that one more time, 877-933-2484. Be right back with Ace. dinner party and then being uh, find out you're being seated next to Ace Collins. That'd be kind of an interesting dinner. Um, glad to have him on. He's written over 100 books. The one we're talking about today is Geared Up Faith for Classic Car Buffs. And Ace, right in the beginning, we were talking about uh, trivia. I'd love some trivia. Oh, gosh, there's so much. You know, when you're looking through these things, uh, well, here's a little bit of trivia for you. If you found a Jeep in World War II, you didn't have to have asked somebody for the key. You just jumped in it and pushed the button. Nice. Uh, and, and so the most Jeeps in World War II, because we talked about a while ago, were built by not Willys that created the initial Jeep, but by Ford Motor Company. And by the way, you can tell the difference in a Ford Jeep or a Willys Jeep or an, um, and I'm trying to think who Bantam made Jeeps well as well during World War II, by the way the grill looks. So not all Jeeps in World War II had the same grill. And so you you look at those things and, and you're going wow didn't know that you know the the har- the car with the most horsepower on the road in, in 1958 horsepower per cubic inch was not a Corvette it was not a Thunderbird but it was a Packard Hawk the very last Packard ever made had more horsepower than any car on the road the 1955 Lincoln Futura is a car that everybody has seen but it was seen after a transformation. Uh, the Futura was a car that appeared in a movie, a 1959 movie. It started with a kiss, then disappeared and sat in an alley for years until ABC 
TV came to George Barris, who was a car customizer, and said, we, we need a Batmobile for this new series we're doing. And George Harris took that Ford Futura and transformed it into the Batmobile. Oh, wow. So the television Batmobile that everybody has seen, it's, an, it's iconic in pop history. It was initially a Ford uh, green car at a show car. The original Corvette, we think of Corvettes as being incredibly powerful. It had that, that Stove Bolt 6 I told you about that Chevrolet created and wouldn't have a V8 until 1955. So you could buy a real sporty looking car, but it still had a, a, a six cylinder engine that, that dated back to 1929 under the hood. And possibly the song that influenced, uh, not the song, but the car that influenced pop history more than any other car was a car that most people have forgotten right now. And that's the 1949 Oldsmobile Rocket 88 because a guy named Ike Turner, from uh, who we remember with uh, his wife Tina Turner, is, is kind of a uh, rock musician in, this, in the 60s and 70s. He wrote a song in 1951 about his, his Rocket 88 Oldsmobile called Rocket 88. It was recorded in Sun Studios, where Elvis became popular. So this was recorded four years before Elvis walked into that same studio. And it became what many believe is the first rock and roll song of all time. So Rocket 88 not only was the first V8 car in the GM lineup that really caught on after World War II, but it was also uh, the car that started a music revolution as well. Mm-hmm. Ace, talk about your beloved uh, 1965 Ford Mustang. My personal 65 Ford Mustang is a is a uh, fastback. So, it, and that is a misnomer because Ford did not call them fastbacks; they called them two plus twos. But uh, everybody has since named them the fastback. Uh, mine has 243,000 miles on it. Uh, I have owned it. I'm the second owner. I've owned it for 30 years. I drive that car basically every day. Oh. Uh, my, my son, uh, if it's snowing or something, obviously I don't take it out. If it's got real hard rain because uh, I don't trust other drivers, it's not because it can't handle it. Uh, but that car is a car that I get get in and go literally anywhere in. Uh, love that car dearly. Um, and I like it because it's simple. Uh, I mentioned the fact that it's amazing how old it is. It's a 57-year-old car, but you can still get it up and drive it anywhere and do anything with it. Now, is it crude by today's standards? Yeah. But it's still a car you drive. It's not a car that drives you. And, and I think I like the fact that oh, my wife has a 2015 50th anniversary Mustang GT. That's one of the most amazing cars I've ever been in to drive. I mean, it is just, it's a race car on wheels. But there's just something about that 65 Fastback that um, every time I get it, I tell people I'm time tripping because it feels like I've made a, uh, a jump back 50 years or so and I can just picture what it was like to have been a teenager during that time driving that car. Yeah, Ace, what uh, what allows cars? What how do cars get into the classic status? I mean, people think, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a, an AMC Pacer because one day this will be really worth a lot. You know, what, what, and actually, what, they are actually there are people who collect those. I, I know, like I know. There are people who collect old old 1970s Ford Mavericks or Ramblers. Uh, there, if you go to the Automotive Association of America, the AACA, you'll actually see uh, a standard for what are classic cars and what are milestone cars. And this this book has a has a mix of both. 
you know, you get your early early Packards, Cadillacs, Auburns, Duesenbergs, uh, things like that, Peerless. Uh, those are classic cars. Uh, your later cars, such as your Mustangs, your Corvettes, uh, the, the Chevrolet, the 57 Chevy that was mentioned. And by the way, we had a 59 Chevrolet mentioned. You could skateboard on the fins on that car. Hmm. I mean, literally speaking, that car just went on forever. But um, those cars are milestone cars, so they haven't earned the classic title yet. But I, I think you define it yourself. What is your classic car? Okay. If you were raised and your mom was taking you to school in a 1955 Studebaker, then in, in your mind, that's the car that's got the memories. And I, I think what we all go for when we, when we look for cars to own is driving a piece of not just history, but a piece of our history. Uh, and, and therefore, we're looking for cars that mean, like, mean something very dear to us. Um, and it, it, is, it really is a time machine. When I talk about time tripping, I really am talking about, in a very real well, way, a time machine. Because it does kind of use your stress relaxes and you're going down the road and, and and suddenly life is a lot simpler. And I think that's the power that uh, automotives have besides their effect on American history and world history. I, I know other machine uh, that was produced in the 1900s had the effect on world history. I think that the, the automobile did. Mm-hmm. Ace, we just have a couple of minutes left. What was one of your bigger discoveries when you were doing research for this book? Gosh, there were so many different things you came up with that, that were so much fun to talk about. Uh, I, I think maybe the story I liked the best was why the Edsel failed. And it didn't have anything to do with the grill or anything else. It was the fact the Edsel was released at just the wrong time. Uh, it, was, it was ultimately a good car, but it was the first year that the federal government put window stickers on the side of the car so you could see how much accessories cost. And people looked at how much the accessories cost on an Edsel and they went down to a Ford instead. And secondly, it was a year when there was a great recession and all car sales were down. So the Edsel, which was introduced with great fanfare, was introduced in a year in which there was a recession, which meant that they didn't sell near as many of them as they thought they would. If they'd introduced, introduced it two years sooner, it probably would have been a hit. Probably also they could have come up with a better name than Edsel. You know, uh, that that was not exactly a winning name. But it's ironic that the Edsel, which was came to note failure, was kind of like the missionary, you know, uh, William Carey, who was a failure as a missionary initially, too. Both of them now uh, are considered classics. Uh, Carey was the man who created the modern missionary movement. And the Edsel now is one of the first cars people go see at car shows. And boy, an Edsel convertible will sell for over $100,000 now. Well, Ace, a uh, listener wanted to know that, uh, said my, my grandpa had an Aqua Rambler, maybe a Dodge, not sure. Does Ace know anything about, about that? Uh, well, you know, the Aqua would have been the color. The, the Rambler was a great car. Uh, it wasn't a cool car, but it was one of the, it was probably the very first American economy car. Mm-hmm. And they would, they ran forever, for, initially made by Nash, then a, American Motors before it was all over uh, when the merger after the merger took place. I had a friend who drove one in college that was his grandmother's and it was a great old car would start up every time. So in that respect, because of his memories, that's a classic car to him. It may not be to me, but it probably is to my friend, Tim Harris, who, who drove one in college. He'd probably like to go back and have that car again. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's it. We also failed to mention in here when we're talking about this, the books, the pictures that go with, 
the text in this book are amazing. They and, are amazing. And people, people can look through and probably get thousands of memories just looking at the photographs that are in this book of these beautiful cars. Two of the, by the way, two of the photographs are cars that I've owned, the 65 Mustang and the 1937 Lincoln Zephyr, but they are absolutely gorgeous cars from that Auburn on the, that 1936 Auburn on the front cover is just absolutely gorgeous. Mm -hmm. It's always so much fun to have you on the show. You are such a delight. Thank you for uh, spending time with us today. And thank you for making three copies of the, uh, the book available. It really makes a, a nice difference uh, in listeners. They're very excited. We have a lot of people wanting in on this. Well, thank you so much for having me because this is the first time I've talked about this book. I have not even seen a copy of it yet. And nice. so other than, other than PDF. So I can't wait to get my hands on a copy. Uh, it comes out uh, the 7th of this month. They'll start shipping from online sellers, and they'll be in bookstores on the 7th of, not, not yeah. 7th of this month, but 7th of June. Perfect Father's Day gift. Yeah, Ace, really if, you, if you want to get on the drawing here, all you have to do is text the word book to 877 <laughs> Now, I can pull a couple of strings around here. I'll maybe see that you can get one of these books. I, well, I appreciate that. Supposedly, there's a box on the way to me. I just haven't seen it yet. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for spending time with me today, and have a great rest of the day. You bet. You too. Thanks. Ace Collins has been my guest. Geared up faith for classic car buffs. Three copies are available. Not a lot of them, but... We've got uh, three to give out, so text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. We'll take a break. When we come back, Dr. Mark Muska is going to join me for a nice hour-long Ask the Professor. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.